If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would take them and turn to Acts chapter 2. We have been, this is the fourth week that we have been in this series of Led by the Spirit. And today the title of this message is A Biblical Explanation for Tongues. A Biblical Explanation for Tongues. You see how the Lord's been working this out already? How He just knows what He wants to accomplish today. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 4 is my text verse, but I'm going to read the first four verses just so that we can get the context of what was happening here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Lord, when we come before you, we recognize that it's through the work of your Holy Spirit that you begin to reveal yourself and your work to each of us. I recognize today, Lord, that already in this service that you have manifested yourself through tongues and interpretation, through a prophetic word of which, Lord, we have evaluated those. And even though they come through human flesh, they still must be evaluated by your word. And Father, there seems to be a consensus in what you are doing in our hearts that we are hungry for all that you have for us. So I pray, Father, that you would instruct us through your word. May the anointing of the Holy Spirit be evident, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we have gone through this study the past several weeks, one of the most consistent and frequently asked questions, especially of those of you who have just come into relationship with the Lord, and we've, we've had a number of people that are entering into that, is what does tongues mean? I've also discovered that some of you that have begun to attend our church come from backgrounds that may have taught you when you were younger that there was a certain time in which tongues was for and that that door closed and it's no longer for today. And so when you enter into the, the to grace assembly and you experience the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in a corporate setting, that it causes you at times to be a little bit fearful, wondering what's going on. And I want you to know that we who are growing believers must know that everything that happens in the church of the Lord must have a biblical foundation for us to be able to embrace that. And one of the questions we often get is, why did God choose tongues? Out of everything that he could have done, why did God choose that the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit should be tongues? And my purpose this morning is to kind of think aloud with you about some things and, and kind of try to answer some of the questions that have come up as we, we take a stab at answering that question. Why is it that God would be honored and pleased in our lives that after entering into a relationship with Him through salvation, that we should be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the evidence of that would be speaking in other tongues, and that there should be power and boldness that would be added to our life? And I want to consider several responses to that question, and I don't want to spend a lot of time this morning because we are going to be praying for people who want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the end of the service. So if you have a notepad and you would like to take some notes, I have a few thoughts I'd like to share with you. Number one, we may never know why God chose tongues. Now, some of you are going, didn't you just tell us? 
that we were going to be talking about why God chose tongues. How many of you know that God is mysterious? There are aspects of his nature and aspects of what he does in our life that sometimes we don't fully understand why God chose to be honored in our lives by having us yield ourselves so that the first evidence would be speaking in other tongues. We may never know that. But it's a good disclaimer for me to start because God's ways sometimes are mysterious. I have always had great respect for preachers, especially those when I was growing up, that would preach the Word of God even though they did not fully understand everything that it may be that they were preaching. Now, those that are my age and some of you that may be even a bit older understand that when we were growing up, there were a lot of pastors that were preaching about the fact that we knew God said He had created the heavens and the earth. We may not have understood it all scientifically, but if the Word of God stated it, we were going to stand upon that. And so they preached great faithfulness in that particular passage of Scripture. Now that we have moved a few years later, we are beginning to see a generation of young people who have scientific minds, who have been born of the Spirit of God and baptized in the Holy Spirit, that are able to speak that scientific language, being able to prove those things which the Bible has always stated to be true, and it was as a result of those that stuck it out in the trenches and preached the truth, even when they didn't fully understand all of that. And so there are occasions when we will look at Scripture and we will see something and we will just know it's true because the Word of God states it to be true. And so I want to take a side trip on the fact that while we may never fully know why God chose tongues, that if we don't know the why, we will at least know the what. God did choose tongues in the apostolic age to be a sign of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. Not only a sign, but also the initial or the first recognizable evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here, this is important for you. There are times when I will ask a question of an individual, say, can you explain to me a little bit about the testimony of your relationship with God? And then I'll say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And there are times when people will say to me, yes. And I'll say, was it with the evidence of speaking with other tongues? And they say, no, I didn't get that yet. Let me be clear. The initial evidence, the first evidence that a full baptism of the Holy Spirit has taken place is when you speak in tongues. You may have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You may have been stirred by the Holy Spirit. You may have felt something in the Holy Spirit. But biblically, the foundation that we stand on is that you speak in tongues as the first evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does everybody understand that? We need to be sure on that point because that message, that the, the, the Spirit of the Lord working through you, speaking through you, becomes that evidence. One of the things that I should point out about the experience of the Spirit in speaking in tongues is that there is very clear evidence in Scripture that God intends for it to continue today. Now, I recognize there are some of you that have had questions about that, and I want to link for you four passages of Scripture in the book of Acts that will teach us and give us a foundation to stand upon. The first one is this. Note the promise. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus was speaking, and he said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to note the first thing that we are linking with was this gift is promised by the Father. How many of you know that when God promises something, that he's a better father than we are? That if he promised something, he's going to deliver it. Now, I would also like to link then with you Acts chapter 2, verse 4, because now we've seen the promise. Now let's look at the realization of the promise. The scripture that we read as our text says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So now we've seen the promise of the Father. We have also linked with it the scripture that indicates that the realization of the promise took place. And then we move to a little bit later in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, and we can note the qualities of that promise. When it says, Jesus exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. This is Peter that was speaking. He said, and he has poured out on what you now see and hear. What you now see and hear. And it's a very important statement because it says that when the promise comes, we will be able to detect it visually and auditorially. So there is this aspect of it that when we lay hands on you and when we pray for you, that it will be your voice that is used. It will be something that those that are praying with you will be able to hear and we will be able to see because this is the qualities that the Scripture says will be associated with it. You can see it and you can hear it. And then we move to the fourth verse that I would like to link in with this, and that's in Acts 2.39. And note that the recipients of the promise says, for the promise, the promise that is with Jesus spoke about in Acts 1, the disciples experienced in Acts 2, which Peter defines as having a visual and auditory quality. For the promise is for you. Some of you need to stop right there and say, the promise is for me. This promise is for me. And it is for your children. I want you to know that makes me happy. Your children need the promise of the Holy Spirit. Your grandchildren need this promise of the Holy Spirit. They are living in a day and age when if they don't have the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they're going to be in trouble. And for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. By the way, the far off, that's us. We're far off. We are far off. In fact, it's 21 centuries down the road. Now, I am a rational person, and before I commit myself to a spiritual experience, I, I have to have a rational base for it. And so I share this because some of you are hesitant to enter into the experience with the Spirit because you're not convinced that it is scripturally sound or that it is biblically supported. And, and so there's this fear, and especially if you've come from a background where you were taught something different as a child, and you've entered in, and here's what people say all the time, Pastor, we love the life of what's happening here. We love the energy. We love the joy. But I'm not certain that I can get behind the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't you believe it's the Spirit that gives us life? Don't you believe that it's the Spirit that infuses the very things that you long for, the things that draw you, even when you enter in and there's a message in tongues and you're going, I cannot wait to get out of here 
because those people are weird. What happens, however, is that when you leave, you cannot run from the fact that there was something stirred in your spirit that brings life to you. And the very thing that you do not understand then begins to reel you back in because God is pursuing you with his love and mercy and grace and desires to empower you. And so I want you to know that you can trust what God is going to do in you and through you and in your life. So I'd like to take just a few minutes to give you a floor that you can stand on as it relates to tongues within the Bible. The first thing I would like you to jot down is this. The tongue allows us to communicate quickly. The tongue allows us to communicate quickly. If you can't speak or for those of us who are, or those who are here in our deaf community, if they can't speak by signing, then we must resort to writing. And as much as I like reading great writers, there's something that is missing when you read something rather than when you hear it spoken. There's something powerful about spoken communication. God gives us a tongue that we might communicate. And the tongue provides the shortest distance between my inner life and my outer life. Do you know that you can learn something about people very, very quickly by just listening to them talk? I'm always astounded by being with people that are being introduced to a new crowd. And they enter right in, and rather than reading the crowd and trying to figure out where people, they just jump right in and bolt out and bleed out everything that they're thinking and, you know, without any idea of how it may be received around them. Some of you may know people like that. But there's this aspect that if you listen to them, you will find out what it is on the inside of them. In fact, Luke chapter 6 and verses 43 and 45 tells us, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Whatever is on the inside of you will ultimately come out of your mouth. Now, I have told people in the past, you can think whatever you want, but you're not allowed to say whatever you want. There's a reason why when we come to Christ, we ask, oh, Holy Spirit, would you set a guard at my lips? so that I am careful about what comes out of my mouth because I want it to reflect what you have put within me. And so it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So Paul says this, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. In other words, tongues are an outward expression of something that the Spirit of God has done on the inside of you. It is your way of knowing that there has been a renewal and a regeneration and a power and a boldness within you, and you speak this out in prayer to the Lord. That is also one of the reasons why one of the greatest manifestations of those who have been newly baptized in the Holy Spirit is the fact that it is a person that suddenly becomes joyful. I have never yet... In almost 40 years, seen somebody baptized in the Holy Spirit that left in a bad mood. <laughs> because the Spirit of God brings joy. 
And that is what's on the inside of you that comes out as you begin to speak. The next thing, the tongue is the shortest distance between your inner life and the inner life of another. I love doing weddings, and I love having the best seat in the house when a bride and groom are standing there, and they face one another, and they take each other by the hand. And and there are times when I've had bride and grooms that wanted to write their own vows to one another because they wanted to personally express themselves. And, And while at the end of the wedding, I have the joy of saying, by the power vested in me, I now pronounce you husband and wife, what really married them was the vows. It was, it was the promises that they were making because they were speaking from the inner depths of their heart to the inner depths of the other person, and everybody that was in the wedding just got to be witnesses of this communication that took place. Can you imagine a conversation between Jesus and Peter after, Jesus had, or after Peter had failed miserably and non-verbally Jesus trying to communicate with Peter this discourse that takes place when he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know. Do you love me? Lord, you know. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. There was this communication that was deep in the heart of Jesus to deep in the heart of Peter that was connecting on that level. In fact, in Psalm 42, 7, it is described this kind of communication in this way. Deep calls to deep. Something that we can't fully understand, but we know the moon affects the tide. We know that birds have a way of of following this call and, and, and being able to migrate. But God is doing something on the inside of us by which he allows us from the depths of our inner being to speak to the depths of his inner being when we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Next, the tongue was affected by the fall of man, therefore stands within the scope of the redemption of God for man. God's purpose for all of us was interrupted at the fall of man. And we know that when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus, and if you're here today and you have never invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior, then you need to know that that is the prerequisite. Having a relationship with Jesus is step one to being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you've not done that, you're going to have an opportunity in just a few minutes. But in that relationship, when we take Jesus as our Savior, there is a renewing and regenerating work that takes place within our lives through that. Why should it be that the tongue would be left out of the regenerating process when God is making else everything else new? He restores us, he renews us, he reclaims us, he reuses us. It would be surprising to us if God would leave the tongue left fallen when he redeems everything else. James chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, and I'm not going to read it, but I just want to highlight for you some of the things that is talked about the danger of the tongue. It's, it's compared to a small bit that can turn a horse. It's, it's compared to the rudder on a ship, although it's very little, it can, can turn the whole ship. The tongue is compared to a little fire that can set ablaze a forest, a little thing that can ravage all things. It's described as a world of evil among the parts of the body. It is untamable, and it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, I know people who have tongues like that, and then Jesus redeems them. And so we are given in Scripture a whole list of sins that the tongue is used in, anger, profanity, lying, criticism, backbiting, grumbling, all of these things. 
And it says, it is a little member, but it can do great damage. Oh, how changed it is when it brings your tongue to the Lord. And he transforms your nature. And then, having done that, baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. He has chosen the tongue to be an agent of the special sign and grace that will allow us to praise him both in languages we know and those that we don't. It is part of reversing the curse. And it's in that scope. God has chosen the most unruly member to be submitted to him in a unique step of faith which will render him praise. And then lastly, the tongue is most fitted to the praise God wanted to bring forth from the depths of our soul. God wanted to do something new at Pentecost. And so when you look at that setting that we've been reading from Acts chapter 2, he could have said, okay, to prove that my spirit is upon him, I want him to raise their hands. But that wouldn't have been new. That was something that had already taken place in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. He could have said, I want you to do something new with your feet. You know, he could have given us this new little dance. But people were already dancing before the Lord before that. He said, maybe I could just have you fall upon your knees, but we already do that in an act of submission and taking a posture of humbling ourselves before the highest royalty. He could have just said, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you a big smile. Do you know that when Jesus comes into our life, we should have a big smile? And so there needed to be something that would be identifiable and new as it related to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something that would be ongoing and normal and natural and a part of the expression of our worship. And so the tongue was the one instrument of the body which required an operation of faith which would involve a unique manifestation of the Spirit of God in us and through us. And so it was a whole new thing at Pentecost. And it was given in order that from the depths of our heart, I might be able to give God back praise and a song from our hearts. You will also discover when you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit that there will be moments in time when you are asked to pray for something that you don't know what to say. You will face situations, whether they be emergency situations or people that may come to you and ask, can you pray for something? And you don't know what the will of God is for that. That I want you to know that having that prayer language becomes extremely valuable when you say, Lord, I don't know what English words to use, so I'm going to pray in my prayer language knowing that the spirit deep within me is touching the spirit deep within you. And that through that, you can use that prayer and you can apply truth however you need to do it because I just don't know what to say. And the Lord uses that. I love the fact that God would give us other tongues and an ability to relate to him something that we may not intellectually be able to understand, but that he fully understands because he's a reader of the heart and not of the language. I'm going to ask the worship team if you'd please come. The Apostle Paul probably knew more about the psychology of man than any of the other disciples, and he said this, when I pray, I pray to the Lord with my understanding, in other words, my mind, the things that I can understand, but I also pray to the Lord with my spirit, things that I may not be able to understand, but my spirit, which has been redeemed, prays from within me and brings something to the Lord that I cannot consciously 
or understandably bring to him. We are going, as we go through this study, to get into what is it, what's the difference between personal baptism of the Holy Spirit and what does it mean to, as a corporate manifestation as we have seen it regularly in our church. We'll get into all of that, but here's where it starts. I've had people say to me, Pastor, I, I don't know if I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because I don't want God to make me say something out loud in church. You, you need to know there's a difference between those things. The gift of your personal prayer language in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to edify you and glorify God. It's from that that you will be qualified for other manifestations that the Lord may give you, but not all of them. In fact, just a few of them are actually take place in a corporate setting. The Lord will never drag you into something that you are not willing to do. But folks, we are living in what I believe to be evil days of time. And if we are to be effective... In our witness for Jesus Christ, we need the power. We need the power. People don't come to church just to hear a good word. They come to church because it's in the power of God that they are saved, they're delivered, they're healed, and God directs. We need the supernatural power of the living God through the Holy Spirit at work, not only in this place, but in every one of our lives. That comes after we've received Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 